Check, check. Oh. Oh, yeah. Let's have a click track going the whole time. <laughs> no, it, it counted us in. And we are officially live. Oh, my phone just locked out. Son of a bitch. We are. This morning I woke up and I was like, if you start a podcast, don't swear within the first 30 seconds. And I proved myself wrong. Oh, why not? We're not on like terrestrial radio. We could say whatever we want. That's true. I. Yeah. <laughs> there are no rules there's, online. There's no rules on the internet or in, I was going to call this the Zen Den, but that's what Jake calls his office. And I don't want to uh, steal his bit. Either way, there are no rules in this basement. It might get a little weird out, a it's, little weird down here. It's bound to get unnecessary, which I'm okay with. We need a referee. Start throwing Ooh. down flags. <laughs> that would be fun. I mean, the NFL has time to like advance their rule book and rewrite it. True. It's, I mean, it's been we, my only source. Of, oh, I talked over you. I didn't want to do that oh, either. It's all good. I was going to say, we could probably hire a referee for cheap. I mean, they're out of jobs right now, so we could call up some guys and be like, yo, we need a referee for this podcast. <laughs> like, for the longest time, I wanted to be the cool music guy who wasn't into sports to seem cool. And now that everything's just gone to hell, like, the NFL free agency is my only source of live entertainment. Well, I think it's kind of, I think it is cool. I mean, because I feel like, and this is not a not a dig on any musicians or audio guys, but I feel like so many people want to seclude themselves to be like, I'm just this, you know, I don't, I don't care about this other stuff because everybody else does. But I don't know, I think my philosophy on things and, you know, you can look at history and some other people. And I think being a well-rounded person, having multiple interests, you know, nothing wrong with enjoying I mean, something. If, if you look at, if you look at the guys that, you know, we we listen to, uh, the last podcast on the left, Joe Rogan, those guys are very well-rounded. They talk about many different things. They're interested in many different things. And I think that's why they have the fan base that they do is because they, they have so many different topics that you people can relate to. It's definitely more fun to hang out with someone who can talk about everything than someone who can only talk about, like, two or three things. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then you, you reduce, if you only can talk about one thing, you reduce your chances of the people that you can meet, you know? Because yeah. how many people out there do we know that are as nerdy about audio as we are, you know? So a that's select the, few. Yeah, so that's the only thing that we ever talked about. Then um, I realized I'm probably a little far away from the mic. That was the only thing we ever talked about. You know, we would probably have no friends. I'm at that point <laughs> where... Not in terms of like career success, but like I've hit that point where it was audio and music was all I thought about for like three straight years. And now I'm back at, I was like just at the point where I'm like, I'm going to sign back up for the gym because it's going to make me feel good about myself. And then I was like, all right, well, we'll start with just like the college's gym because the theater that I work at is owned by the college. So I can go for free. And like the day I was going to get my ID to like have access to the gym. I was like, it's great. Spring break's happening. Like I can be the awkward <laughs> out of shape guy with no one around. And I went into HR and they're like, we can give you your ID, but because of the pandemic, like you, it's closed. And I was like, <laughs> oh, great. This, I saw, is, this is fantastic. I saw a post on, uh, on social media the other day and it was like, somebody like posed the question, like when everything opens back up again, are the gyms, is it going to be like new year's where everyone's going to have this new pandemic resolution to get in shape and are all the gyms going to be flooded with, with new people? Oh, I imagine so. Yeah. I think it's going to be everything. Yeah. Like I think people are going to be so excited to just sit down at a restaurant or maybe like splurge some money and like sit down at like a concert or yeah. like a theater production so i can get back to the, the workforce that's been <laughs> mandatorily or uh mandatorily 
that the right word? Man- I don't think mandatorily. I think just mandatory. It's been man- a mandatory shutdown has been in place for all folk in the audio and entertainment industry. Yes. Which is when the light bulb clicked in my head and it's like, Adam, you can't shut up once you get started talking. So you should try to entertain your brethren who are feeling <laughs> kind of the the corona blues. I want to I want to make one more point about the gym. And that I think it's kind of funny that the gyms have been shut down because at least the one that I go to, nobody ever wipes down anything. So I believe that everyone that has gone to my gym is impervious to any kind of virus because it's it, it, built we are, up. We are we are not sanitary there. It's just d- large men just sweating everywhere, and then you know the next person just lays down on that same bench. So I think anybody that's gone to my gym is you guys. Are, you guys are fine. So <laughs> dude, I, I combed my beard with a fork I was eating with, and then I went back right into my salad. Oh, like yeah, the last you know. event before the last live event I worked before the shutdown happened is like we get like the the theater ordered dinner for us so I like I ate half of my salad and I was like oh it's close to showtime I'll just throw this in the in the break room fridge and come back to it so I'm I'm standing in the hallway just in the the post show kind of hangout that always seems to happen where it's like we all can go but no one really wants to I mean People probably want to leave, but not everyone's making an effort to leave. And mm. I hate not being the last person out of a place. Like, it's just weird to me. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm leaning up against, like, the the hallway because uh, at the theater, our tech director's office is right across from the break room. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're all just in the hallway converge, and I'm leaning. And, like, I thought I did it. I was like, I took a bite and then I was like thinking and then it was just like, and I'm then I, combing my beard. And then I was just like, I'm, I'm just going to hope nobody saw this and go in for a bite. And then like two minutes later, I said some off the wall comment and I was like, yeah, I'm just that kind of guy. And someone was like, yeah, you definitely combed your beard with the fork you were eating and then went right back into your salad. And I was like, I thought I did. Hey, if you if you run out of beard balm or any kind of beard oil, just use balsamic a dressing. Nice, and, nice, uh, Adam's tested it out for you guys. It works. It was a like a, a sesame ginger because it was an Asian uh, chicken. Salad. Do we know if that helps with uh, like skin chafing from you know having beard or beard dandruff? Maybe we should do a little test of that while we're uh, under quarantine. We can start <laughs> rubbing different kind of salad dressings on our beards, and that, it needs to happen. It's, it's science, you know. We gotta we gotta do something. You know, we're not. I'm not smart enough to figure out what to do, how to fix the problem that we're going through right now, but I can sure put my uh, my beard on the line for you guys and start rubbing salad dressings in. I mean, olive oil, if you need like just a stopgap. Oh, yeah. It works fine. Coconut's fine. Just spend the money and get the product. Yeah. I'm not sponsored by them, but I would give a shout out to the beard brand line because oh, yeah, they're, they're the best of everyone that I've tried. Hell yeah. So, all right. Podcast episode one, we're at... Uh, at a time point in it. I didn't set the software to record uh, in minutes and seconds, so we are 215 bars into this podcast. What time signature are we in for this? 4-4. Uh, four, four. Four, We're four. in a key of C major at 120 beats per minute. Oh, hell yeah. I think it sounded really good. I think we're pretty in key right now. There's definitely going to be some swing, but I don't think... Yeah. I think a good performance, people wouldn't 
mind if it's off the grid. And if anyone else there is wondering, we do have a click track right now in our ears that we are we are tempoed to. So if you want to get your metronomes out and follow along. Yeah, I'm not stuttering because I'm pondering thought. I'm stuttering because I'm subdividing and changing the... Uh, I'm doing like a modulated uh, metric thing or metric modulation. Is the my, my nerdy ass is over here trying to talk in polyrhythms. I'm like, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Over top of this, this bar, four, four. Yeah, and I'm going to talk in seven the whole time. Ooh, so some Alice in Chains uh, vibes. Great band. Glad I don't hate them anymore for uh, undisclosed personal reasons. Women. Women Ugh. fuck up your taste in music. It feels so good to claim the power back, though. Oh, yeah. I was rocking it out, like, shamelessly. Oh, yeah, dude. Alice in Chains is great. Oh, so good. So great. I was like, oh. It's... I, I still love their new stuff, you know? I mean, of course, you know. Anytime a band has a, a massive lineup change, especially with something as like a vocalist, um, yeah, it, it is kind of difficult. But I think they've done a great job with their with the new guy. I want to say his name is Will. I don't know actually, um, but uh, I think he's great. I mean, because you know uh, Jerry Cantrell was the the main creative force behind the band and oh, still yeah. is, and so it's like they still just have that unique sound that nobody else has. Yeah, the the funny thing is about them because. It's weird that they're still writing really, really dark stuff lyrically and musically, but that guy's such a like, we should do yoga and drink smoothies. <laughs> and like, I wanted to hate on it, but then I'm like, I, I enjoyed yoga on the couple of occasions that I've attempted it, and I like smoothies. So why, why am I hating this guy? Yeah, I think, I think that's something that a lot of people don't consider. That guy's way more fun to hang out with than the dark, tortured, possibly heroin addicted guy. Like, if you had to hang out with if you had the choice. Yeah, exactly. Who would you, who would you want to go to the bar with? But I, I think a lot of people don't consider the fact that it's like, even though some of the, and this isn't to, to, to give any uh, leeway to artists that can be sometimes kind of dickish about their positions, but I think a lot of people don't realize that it's kind of like, you could, you could have everything that, that most of us would want. You know, you could have the car, the wife, the house, the success, but like everybody still goes through their own personal trauma and emotions. And as artists, that's what we do. We try to, to find those things inside of us that we are going through and we try to put them out there to relate to people, to let you guys know, to let people know like, hey, look, I'm going through this too. And that's, I think it's the biggest thing about music and why people loved the grunge scene so much and still love it. Yeah. Is because it really, it really connected to how people feel, you know, how people feel outside, like disregarding your social or outside circumstances, but your internal feelings. Because, you know, a lot of people, you could have the great things going on in your life, but for some reason you just still feel just, just shitty inside and dark. And so I think that they're yeah. still writing music like that can still really show you and connect like, hey, look, it's okay to to feel crappy. It's okay to feel dark inside. Even if outside of your your mind, everything should be pretty and sunshiny, but like, it's okay to feel that way. As uh, the newscaster on Fairly Odd Parents once said, it's okay to feel sad sometimes. <laughs> and remember, brush your teeth. Shiny teeth and me. Oh, such a underappreciated show I think. Oh, it, yeah. it has I mean, that was a great hit too i think that topped the billboard charts didn't it shiny teeth and me i'm not sure <laughs> chip skylight as as far as like animated shows from our childhood goes that one has not withstood the test of time but i feel like from a writing standpoint like it had to have been solid oh yeah like i, I watched it was, every day i love I the premise kid. of it i think i think every kid wanted that oh yeah absolutely even if even if you weren't living in a circumstance like Timmy was where you had a, a horrible babysitter and, and negligent parents, I think even if you, it was just still cool. The idea of like, I have fairy godparents, like I could do all this cool stuff. 
But I thought it was so funny that people never. Um, what was the the trailer park kid? What was his name? Oh, people always talk like, why didn't he get fairy godparents? I mean, yeah. like he lived in like. Well, I mean, maybe his dad he had wore like, a paper bag on his head because he was an embarrassment. Like that kid had a rough life. Like, yeah, but may, I feel like the the trailer park kid, like maybe maybe you got fairly odd parents. Maybe it was like a critique on like uh, the the falsities of like the American dream and like the status quo. Oh yeah, because like you look at Timmy and he's got like the big nice house, but like the dad hates the neighbor. Mm-hmm. So it's like the typical it's, it's suburban like an, living un, an unfulfilled childhood. So like the yeah. fairly godparents kind of have to make up for like the lack of emotional support from the, the parents. Dude, that's a really good point because when that, that, that show came out in our childhoods and that was kind of the world that we were, a lot of us were living in. Yeah. And I think that that was at the same time that a lot of, to, to relate this to music, like bands like, um, what was it like uh good charlotte mm-hmm. and like some 41 where it was these guys that were coming out of like suburban areas and you, you had this pop punk scene where it was these guys complaining about stuff and you know and some people look at that and be like you lived in in suburbia like why are you complaining about that but i think i think in in their own way there was a lot of challenges with that because you had these parents that were always at work and emotionally distant and so although you had like, like you, you have said, all these fulfilling needs you had the american dream or this fulfilled life of the white picket fence the the white collar job and yet it took away all connection and emotion between families yeah because like if i remember correctly like the dad in that show was wearing like a white button down shirt with like a black tie so he, yeah it was probably like a critique that he's probably some like average like office worker and mm-hmm. i forget what the mom did yeah i don't remember, that I remember either one of the episode where he got the printer where he could just like scan something from a magazine and then they would make it mm-hmm. it's like i wanted that that I, was awesome. i remember being a kid and like being really nerdy and just like constantly looking at guitars and like the musician's friend like magazine i was like i would have so much stuff oh yeah i mean we're kind of getting to that point with 3d printers i yeah. mean with I, I was reading something like with with the virus stuff that's going on that some some group of guys used their 3D printers to to make some some medical stuff. I don't know if it was masks or or um, ventilators or it was something really really awesome. And these guys used their 3D printers, and a lot of people are I've been reading online are coming together and trying to use their 3D printers like just as private citizens to try to help out with the the demand that's needed for a lot of this this medical gear that it, we're not meeting. And so I think that's just really awesome, and it's kind of showing that wow, maybe 10, 20, 30 years, you will be able to just take a magazine and scan something in and print it out. And like, I go. need this right now. Yeah. It's a very good point. That got really deep on a show that probably wasn't <laughs> right? like meant to, or maybe it was. And Pro- at, props to the writers if it was. As far as I know, I know I'm sober. I'm pretty sure you're sober. We got really heavy. <laughs> that into, was a to... really heavy conversation on something that I would watch in my SpongeBob pajamas while eating Lucky Charms getting ready for elementary school. I remember in like second or third grade, we would start every day with an activity where the entire class, we would sit in a circle and like, we would like play a game or like, I, I forget what it was. It was like, if you could like ask a genie for like three things. And like, I just remember one of the girls in my second or third grade class was like, I want a set of Fairly Odd Parents. And I was like, that's a good play. That's kind of interesting. You're using a genie to wish for more cre- yeah, like, it's like, creatures. Yeah, like I think that the, the, if I remember correctly from my childhood, it's like you can't ask for more wishes. But she found the workaround where that she's is. like, "I want the magical being." 
She's definitely a politician now. <laughs> Possibly. I think I asked for like a World War II tank or something. Oh, nice. Like a Sherman. Now I would go for the Tiger tank. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is It's a beautiful piece of machine. Doesn't uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger own a couple tanks? I'm not sure. I think I've seen some videos of him with his tanks and his private property rolling <laughs> those around. That would be awesome. I want to get to that level of success. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want just... a giant house or eight like, I want an eight-car garage, but I want seven of those spaces to be occupied by military equipment. Oh, yeah. And the thing is about those, it's kind of like, at least for me, with owning a tank, it wouldn't be to to fire anything. It would just be like, could you imagine rolling up to your local pharmacy or, or a grocery store just and your the tank power just move. like, oh, sorry, I got to take up three spaces. My bad. Nah, what are you going to do? Nothing. Ah, parallel parking, this thing's a bitch, you know? <laughs> I think in Minnesota, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you know or if anyone cares to listen knows i think in minnesota you can you can rent a tank like on your wedding day oh wow that'd be cool for prom too could you imagine like if you had the money i would love to do that for my kid one day if i have one to like be able to like hey son take your date to prom in a tank <laughs> that would be sick i just want to roll up to the reception if i ever get married like on the like just world war ii injured soldier style just on the back <laughs> of a sherman just like oh love is a battlefield <laughs> <laughs> Got always tied into music somehow with this. <laughs> it's the only joke that came. I was like saying that sentence, and I was like, "How am I going to wrap this around?" <laughs> All right. Just as uh, Bert Kreischer said on his recent special, he's like, "We'll put the words in your mouth, and you're just going to hit them out of the park with your tongue." <laughs> That's every day. It was uh, one of the last events I worked was a comedy show that uh, was not as funny as I hoped for. And the one comedian's like, ah, yeah, I don't really care. I just kind of show up and tell jokes. And if people like them, cool. And if they don't, whatever. And I was like, that's what I do. <laughs> We're the same person. <laughs> it might be, might be funnier. It was, it was low. That was a, a, a comedy show of low hanging fruit. Mm. It was just guaranteed. It was, it was like bowling with the, the, the with the rails up. Oof. Yeah. Which is the only way I can bowl and get above a 20. I'm really <laughs> terrible at bowling. Uh, I'm horrible at it. I should try. We should try the uh, the Tom Haverford way of bowling. Uh, and, the uh, the uh, two, two hands. Ooh. You don't see a lot of innovation. I mean, I'm not a bowler and I well, don't watch bowling. When's the last bowling. time you've been to a bowling alley? Five years ago. About the same. I was going to say, I was like, I don't, maybe, maybe some bowling experts out there can... Uh, can let us know, like, have there been any major innovations in the sport of bowling in the last 20 years? Like, is there new things that they do? I, I don't know anything about bowling. I know how to roll it and hit the pins and you try to get a 300 is like the best score. But like, have there been innovations in like ways that guys roll the ball or like different hand guard? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. So I'd just be interested, you know, how with basketball, I know about basketball, you know, the innovation of dunking and then the three point line and guys are now able to do a lot more different things than you were seeing 40 years ago. So that'd be interesting to know. I think my cousin is dating a guy who's like above the average proficiency level at bowling. Like I, I think he does it like as a profession as well. Like I know he works as like a, a at a beer distributor or something, but he also does something with high level bowling and i've met him like once i'm realizing you're probably gonna have to cut out a lot of audio on my channel with me swallowing my coffee that's gonna have to happen over here too so i don't feel ashamed of it yeah good thing we're not live 
or else people would just be like, what the hell are those noises? Well, if we were live, I would, I would like to get video cameras if oh, yeah. this expands into something, which would be, I think, cool. I remember, um, speaking of video cameras, this is going to get a little graphic here. Go so for it. I remember when we were in uh, audio school and we were talking about the one of the things you have to learn when you're in audio is uh, you got to learn how to really expand your skill set and be willing to do a lot of different things. You know, like I think a lot of us that go into audio, of course, we want to mix records. We want to mix records. We want to do concert stuff. But one of the things you learn is all the different career options that are involved in audio, whether it's working at a TV station, running a podcast. Um, but uh, so do we want to switch over and start talking about some music related stuff? We'll yeah. Make okay. This our segue into. I know we've played this game before, but it's a, a, a I think it's going to be a good intro segment for future guests corresponding with the name of the podcast of the backseat playlist. And I don't know how many times I'm going to have to fucking explain why I named it, what I did. You should you should explain it right now, first okay. episode, and then maybe three thousand episodes <clears throat> later we'll we'll come back. He's to like it. link back to episode <laughs> one, please. All right, so I hated my middle name for the longest time because I was an awkward nerdy child. So well, you like, should, you should let us know what your middle name is. I'm getting to that. Oh, I'm, I got to okay. preface it. I'm, I'm jumping the gun. You I'm are. Excited. I'm like, let's, let's go. We got to get the backstory out first. Uh, awkward nerdy child where like. I think between like third and sixth grade, like my best friend was probably the History Channel. That's a good friend to have. You learn and stuff. I learned a lot, but I also, you learn some like nightmarish things. Like I remember like being 10 and like watching a documentary on Charles Manson. And they're like, someone potentially got away. And I'm like 10 and I'm like, they're still out there. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but I also learned from the History Channel at a very young age that Mr. Columbus maybe wasn't the most heroic human being out there. You mean he wasn't a saint? You're telling me that we've been lied to by our public education system? Yeah, possibly. And then, uh, uh, like, two weeks before Columbus did, or like, we did a school project where we did like an about me thing. Mm-hmm. and my middle name is Christopher, and it was like the day... We did it the Tuesday after we came back from Columbus Day and learning about that guy falsely. Thank you, elementary education. So then I shared that my middle name was Christopher, and then since uh, our my teacher in second grade uh, looped with us, so she was we had the same classroom in second and third grade, uh, yeah, everyone called me Christopher Columbus for like two years. Uh, <laughs> Kids are great. <laughs> it was awesome. So one day I was in high school because Ethan was like three. So I was 14 or 15. And I was like, just in a foul mood. I was like, fucking, I've had it with my middle name. Like as soon, like the day I turn 18, I'm going in and I'm legally changing it. And Ethan having the logic of a three-year-old, Ethan being my younger brother for people who don't know me, uh, <laughs> he was like, well, why don't you change it to like, or no, my my mom asked like, well, what would you change it to? And Ethan goes, Adam backseat Grabowski, because he's sitting in the backseat. <laughs> and then that story went away until I was about 18 or 19 
And my whole family started getting tattooed by my homie Davey, because he's the guy we go to. And I guess that story came up in conversation, because mm-hmm. I guess mom and Joe like hung out with him before I was going to hang out with him again. And so then the next time I saw him, he just started calling me backseat. Ah. And it sounds, it's, I think it sounds like clickbaity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great name. I like it. it. It conjures up a lot of images for me, I think. Yeah. Well, like it also is reflective of like most of my awkward childhood personality of literally just sitting in the backseat of who's ever car with my headphones in listening to music, thinking deep, weird thoughts that I still do to this day. Oh yeah. I think, I think all of our generation for the most part can relate to that because yeah. we, you know, we were born in the generation where we had iPods, yeah. you know, iPods are even, even early enough. I remember I had a CD player still, you know, I was still on that train and sitting in the back seat and you're like, I don't want to listen to my parents' music. And so you'd have your, your little playlist in the back, or you can even connect it to, to where we are now in our lives, where if you're a lot of the, the rules are the people, whoever's in the back seat gets to run the music, you know? And so yeah, backseat playlist. Drivers get... driving. Well, typically, I think the most fair approach on a road trip is everybody gets 15-minute increments. Because for a while, it was like, we in on family trips, we would try like three or five song increments, and then like I would cheat the system, and I would just pick like 13-minute songs. Oh, yeah, exactly. And like, oh, this is great. Like, <laughs> so then I was like, all right, fif- like 15 to 20-minute increments. It's fair for everybody. So, the question I want to start off with is, what's your five-song playlist of the day? Because you live about five to ten songs away from me. I mean, depending on what songs you listen to. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Let me think what I what I was listening to on the way here. So my my five song playlist for today. Or if you were about to like go out and get groceries, like basically make a twenty minute playlist. Well, let me let me pull up my phone because I mean I've got so much music. So what I've been jamming to right now. If I were to pick a five-song playlist, the uh, the new Four Year Strong album, Brain Pain, is amazing. So I would probably, my favorite song right now on that would be uh, 17. So 17 by Four Year Strong. Another new album that just came out that I have been in love with is the Intronaut record, Fluid Existential Inversion. So I picked the song Speaking of Orbs. Um, another new one. I'm Right now I'm really into a lot of the new, new stuff that's coming out. Blessed Be by Spirit Box is another great song. Um... And then switching it up maybe a little bit to get a little bit of diversity. It always depends on my mood, but right now I would probably say um, Encore by Jay-Z. Love the Black Album. I've been really getting back into that again. So I think I got, what, one more song? I believe so. Oof. And then I would probably have to pick... um, February weather by in her own words kind of lighten things up a little bit with some pop punk that's that there's the kind of that's that's what I'm listening to right now I dig it a little mixture of stuff but I think that would get me that would give me a good good palette of things to check out while I'm going to the grocery store if you're allowed to if in, you're allowed in these to. times yeah Adam what is your five song playlist of, of the day? today uh well uh I was laying on the couch at like two o'clock this morning, just blasting in the air tonight by Phil Collins. Oh yeah, I mean that's so I'm gonna go with in the go-to. in the air tonight by Phil Collins. Uh, song number two off the top of my head would be 
we talked about, we, we kicked off the podcast talking about that. I'm going to go with Them Bones by Alice in Chains. Another great choice. It's a good choice. It's just a wonderful band. And I've been on a grunge kick recently, which is very out of character for me. Yeah, I, I actually listened to, um, to the entire Nevermind album by Nirvana the other day for the first time in years. It's good. Yeah, it's really great. One of the things I love about that that album is is the engineering on that record. Oh, Butch Vig is um, a genius. Dave Grohl's drum tones and the energy that you get. I find like a lot of times in, in modern music, just because, at least in the in the metal genre, it's it's constantly at 10. Yeah. And so you don't really get a sense of the energy of the drums. And that's not a knock on any of the engineers. It's just the way that, that a lot of the music these days is, is that it's just 10, you're on 10 all the time. Yeah. Um, but the energy that you get from those drum recordings and the mixing on the drums, um, one, has a lot to do with just Dave Grohl being a, an amazing musician. But, I mean, you feel like you're in the room there and you feel like you're just getting an onslaught of that kick and snare. And it's just just a great sound. We went hiking the other day and took a photo of all of us like spread apart. Oh, I did. I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. So I, I posted on my story cause you can add music. Like I drew in like six feet and I added stay away off of Nirvana's nevermind. Uh, so, so you got three more songs and I'm guessing they're all going to be Janis Joplin tunes. Probably. Um, edge of 17 just popped in my head while you were talking. So I'm going to, th- I'm going to throw that hey, on the playlist. Yeah. I'll jam it. So in the air tonight, them bones, edge of seventeen. Uh, let's go. Hmm, it's tough. It's really tough. I know it's it's a hard question. You're like, can I have an hour long playlist? Like, are and people I might be gonna, able to get some I, more diversity? I'm just more worried that people are gonna judge me. Uh, oh, I mean that's already been done in the first minute. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be shameless about it. I'm gonna be cool, and I'm gonna say. Circles by Thrice, because oh, yeah. that's my favorite song of theirs lyrically. You're repping a Thrice shirt right now. I am. I actually just got their logo tattooed on me very small, ironically from the Beggars album, which is cool. Awesome. Because like, awesome if I'm going to die of the coronavirus, I'm going to at least go out repping my favorite band in my body. Oh, you got to. And then I'm going to end it with uh, Crazy by Gnarls Barkley, because that came on the radio the other day at family dinner. And we forgot that CeeLo Green was in Gnarls Barkley. Yeah. He just writes. He's a, been in a lot of stuff. He writes a hit song and then disappears, and it's great. Yeah. And I downloaded that album that it was on. I was like, the production on this is rad. You know, another another guy that that is like that is Neo. Like, I didn't know for the longest time. Yeah. Like, I mean, his um, Closer, that song is amazing. You know, I remember that hit. And then he like disappeared and I didn't realize that he was writing for so many artists. Like mm-hmm. he's written for Rihanna. Um, he wrote for, uh, I, I can't even name all the names, but Rihanna is the first one that comes to mind, but just, you know, major stars. He's written a lot of hits. Um, and he's, he's an incredible writer and musician. Yeah. Cause Gnarls Barkley was CeeLo Green and Danger Mouse. And then Danger Mouse did one of my favorite high school records, which was El Camino by the Black Keys. I know you're not a fan of them, but... No, but I can respect that engineer stuff. The engineering on that record is not really cool. I think I read that CeeLo Green also did some work with Outkast back in the day, too. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. I mean, he he's just a, a force, you know. Music. Oh, anyone who can do it is phenomenal. I think yeah. uh, Pharrell Williams is Oh, yeah, yeah, insane, dude. So insane. I watched a, uh, I forget what the engineer's name was, but uh, he was, um, I was working on a, on a hip hop record a couple weeks ago. 
and I was I was trying to find some tips and stuff like that because that was kind of my my I've done a little bit in the hip hop scene, but this was kind of my big my first big foray into mixing an entire hip hop album. And so I was looking for some tips and stuff like that. And I found this guy who was uh, mixing uh, for a song that Pharrell had produced and just the, the, the creativeness of his arrangements and how less is more with him and in yeah. choosing the right sound. So if you're, if you're out there as a producer or, or a musician, choosing the right sounds is the first, first big step that you can, if you, as long as you have the right kick drum sound, the right snare sound, and then whatever you're you're using your melody for, you can get away with not doing a lot as long as those sounds all work very well with each other. The kick really acts, accentuates the melody, you know, in, in its tonal format. Um, and the same thing with all the other instruments. And it was just, it was mind-blowing realizing like, wow, there's not a lot going on in terms of, of busyness, but it just, it creates this huge sound. It just sounds so good. Yeah. Are you finally at the point you think in your engineering and producing career where the phrase like track like there's no mixing and mix like there's no mastering like finally makes sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think even with the best education you you get when you're starting off in audio, I think you it's all about really experimenting and, and figuring things out for yourself. Um, because, you know, I, I had heard that, I had heard less is more, just just all the terms about about, you know, you want to make sure that your your tracks sound as great as they do coming into the board, you know? And, you know, I always had that at the back of my mind, but I was, I've only been doing this for what? How long have we been doing this? Three, two, three, four years? When did we graduate from school? You graduated before I did. Yeah, because you interned when I was still a student. But it hasn't been that long. And so, you know, no. I mean, even still, I mean, even talking to the engineers that we were friends with that have been doing this for 20 years, you know, you're still learning. But I definitely really in the last last year have finally really had that click for me because I was, you know, loading up many different plugins and, and trying to load a ton of different tracks in there and, and really just fill things out. And it was always like, man, my mixes are sounding very dull. You know, they didn't have that life to them. And now I'm starting to, you know, kind of really focus more, a lot more on the tracking stage and performance. Performance is the biggest thing yeah. because, you know, that is, that is one of the things that I, I share with, with other engineers and even with musicians that come in and work with me is that like, look guys, we got to get your performance to be the best. So if that means we got to do 20 takes, um, but I, I always say, make sure you guys are rehearsing your parts before you come to the studio because it all starts on the musician's end. You know, the gear is the, the next step and what you've got going, but you could have $20,000 worth of gear. But if you're, if your musicians that you're tracking are not performing their parts well, it's not going to make a bit of difference. Um, so the performance is key. So practice, practice, practice. And as an engineer and producer, you know, make sure you, you need to be a little stern with your musicians. You know, you make sure be like, look guys, we, we got to really tighten this part up. We got to really make sure that this performance is key because if it's not, sometimes even editing isn't always going to help you, you know, editing can help with timing, but if it's a weak performance, even if you've got the timing and if the, if the, the drum parts, if the, if the snare is not being hit deliberately, if it's not being hit with a good tone and, and a firm, performance you, you could you could quantize that and it could be perfectly in time but it's not going to change the tonal aspects of the performance yeah i've uh i've started looking at microphones as strictly as an eq when i hear something mm -hmm. where i'm like okay i hear what that sounds like so now instead of thinking it like a microphone i think of it like if that was the sound i had in my DAW, or if I could EQ the world around me, how would I EQ it? Well, what microphone's gonna 
make that happen. Yeah. But I think is what you were saying, like when we were both students, there was definitely a lot of overkill in our sessions as far as like plugins go. And I think just because when you really fall in love with something, it's fun at first to just do everything. And like we probably didn't really have like mix identities back then. Oh yeah, no, you're still really trying to form who you are as and an engineer. We mix very differently, you and I. Oh yeah. We're like, I can hear one of your mixes. I'm like, yep, that's a Phoenix mix. Yeah. And like, you can hear something <laughs> that I did, I guess, and be like, oh, Adam probably did that. Oh yeah, I listened for the time base, and I'm like, yep, that, that was Adam. Snare in your face and way too many delays. Ah <laughs> oh, no, that's, I love I love the amount of delays you use. That's my mix. I've actually I I I think I remember uh, about like a year ago or something like that when I was. I always avoided reverb because I'm, you know me, I'm much more into like the metal mixing and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I really started at. But as, you know, as time has gone on, I've really diversified myself. Um, but with metal music, you know, you don't use a lot of reverb. And so I was always very wary of it. And even even just time-based in general. Um, and I remember hitting you up and being like, yo, Adam, what are, what are some of your time-based tricks? And you were, you were sending me links and telling me all kinds of stuff that I was like, oh my God, dude, this is crazy about feeding delays into reverbs and sending that to a compressor and getting that to pump with what the vocal's doing. And it's just incredible, kind of uh, the interesting time-based stuff that you do. It's also interesting because I, compared to probably the average human being, listen to way more metal than they do. Not like across the spectrum, but like the six or eight like heavier metal-esque bands that I listen to, I listen to all the fucking time. Yeah. And I'm so bad at mixing metal. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but it's just not my, it's not my go-to. Like I want to make cool. I mean, I could, I can make anything work. I shouldn't say that I'm bad at it. It's just not my like go-to genre. Yeah. It's not your, your forte. It's yeah. Yeah. I enjoy listening to it, but like making it's really hard. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I definitely like crushed indie rock stuff. Yeah. But I think furthering my point that I forgot to, bring home is just like when you start engineering like it's just so much fun to open up all the different eqs and compressors and whatever and just see what's out there but then you dig yourself in the hole of like oh wow i made this sound really bad and now i have to take everything away and it's it's really tough today too because i mean we're we we have been we have walked into the industry in a time point where there's so much accessibility you know with all the different plugins um, especially the, even free plugin. Like, oh, there's yeah. a lot of good ones out there. I mean, it's just the stock plugins in your, in your DAWs are great. You know, I've done mixes where, you know, I thought they wouldn't be my final mixes, but I've done experiments where I pull up an old session, the old tracks, and I'm like, I'm just going to work with the stock plugins and see what I can do. Um, but it, it, with, with as much as, as there is out there these days and how easy it is to get, I mean, especially when you look at like a company like Waves and the great deals they have all the time where it's like, pick up the SSL channel for $29, you know, and it's not like 30 years ago where it was like, oh, you want to get the SSL EQ? Well, that's going to be a couple thousand dollars. I mean, even today it is. But even if you're looking at, at uh, analog gear, I mean, there's so many great companies that are, are coming out with affordable things. And so when you step into the world, you're kind of overwhelmed at first by all the stuff that there is. And so you want to try it all and you you get, you buy a, a, um, a bundle and all of a sudden now you've got a hundred plugins that you're like, oh my God. And so you're just trying to load everything you can to figure out how it works. And and I think that is a good thing. I think we all go through that. You know, I, I wouldn't suggest to people not to do that. You know, if you can, uh, if you can buy the stuff and it's it's cool and you want to do that, experiment. But also just know that like you are going to have to whittle yourself down eventually. But experiment, find out what you like. But I think there's a point that you that you come to where you found a compressor, you found an EQ channel that you really like, and you really just try to work with that. Um, and that's I've I've kind of narrowed that down now. 
Um, so I guess one of the things I'd like to talk about is uh, I'd ask you a question. What are what's your go-to EQ right now? If you had to pick one EQ channel, um, and it could be a channel strip, it could be a channel strip that has a compressor on it and a, a gate, you know, like the SSL EQ. Right, right. What's your go-to EQ right now? Oh, that's tough because most of my workflow kind of requires two. Because I've been... All right, I'll give you two. I'll give you two then. If you had two EQs and they could be channel strips, what would they be? It's tough. Because typically what I do is I route everything to a sub, like a stereo group. Mm -hmm. So I have like, I think I kick, I, I keep like kick and snare separate. Mm -hmm. But then I have like all my toms going that like I'll EQ the individual channel, like I'll clean them up. But then I do all of my like additional processing that's going to like, give it the mojo on a bus instead of so like i use i do the same thing with I use toms the, the channel to to fix the sound quote unquote yeah and that could high, be as simple as just like low pass taking the low end out frequencies. yeah it's the like, cleanup stage yeah and then i do all like all the mojo happens on the bus um frequently for like sculpting the sound it's either the waves, the EMO four. Mm -hmm. That's a little more trans. Like for the longest time, I was just all about Q ten. Oh yeah, because I had ten bands and I would just destroy my tracks by <laughs> taking every frequency out. Uh, so that I like. I like the the waves REQ as far as like parametrics go. Mm -hmm. And then for like a colorful EQ. I've been really liking the Waves Kramer Helios EQ. Recently. I love that EQ on guitars. That I like it on I like it on guitars. I it does a cool low end thing if your drum room mics are recorded correctly. Yeah. Like you can get a really cool low end that's not muddy. Like it's really subby out of that EQ. And then I like to pair it with the the Kramer pie compressor too and i'll yeah, just that's a great that's a great i stole that trick from joe barisi you can find it on youtube where he just shows how to blow up a, the, a, a room track <laughs> and i'm like that's the, it works the, the helios um eq that it's it's 1.5k band just it's so unique it does something where like i mean it doesn't work all the time nothing no. nothing ever works all the time but like for what i do like when i've got more like classic rock guitars and you want a little bit more of that mid crunch that 1.5 band it just does something sweet to it that you could push like like two or three. I think it it's almost the opposite of a pool tech style EQ in my mm -hmm. opinion. And I'm sorry for anyone if I have listeners at this point, haha, self burn. That's not into audio, and you have to listen to these ramblings. But if you are into audio, cool, enjoy. But like, if I have a one k problem, like somewhere between like say like nine hundred and like two k. Mm -hmm. and I need to smooth it out, I go to like a pool tech style EQ because the mid-range dip is very smooth and it just like... Yeah. Even before you make a move as far as like what frequency and like the gain of, of that specific band, it chills that area out like tremendously. But if I need to add it, the Helios is my go-to because yeah. it just does something musical. It, yeah, it's musical. It's it adds sweet. vibe, and that, it's energy. It's not a sweet sounding frequency range either. No, it's not. But I feel like a lot of people, especially in like the rock and metal scene, are really really afraid of their mids. Yeah. And they're 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 unwilling to push their mids a little bit. And and you can get it can be kind of dangerous. You can kind of start muddying things up. You can kind of bring out some harsh stuff. But that's what I like about that Helios is that when it works, man does it work. It oh, just yeah. does something that extra that it's just like 
That is, that's like one of my secret weapons, I'd say, is when I'm like not getting that, that kind of that bite that I want. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people always go to that 10K range, which I don't, it doesn't really give bite. It's more of that presence overall. But if you want that, whoa, we just got a ding. Is your phone connected to your computer? Yeah. That was wild. But when you're looking for that, that bite and that snarl, it just, that Helios just does something great. Um, but I guess to go to my, my go-tos is, um, I'd say for my overall surgical EQ, the Fab Fab Filter Pro Q3 right now. I mean that that thing is just a the utility knife of of tools. You know, you can do everything with that. Um, but then for for color, and I'm gonna kind of cheat and go with the channel strip, um, the uh, the Plugin Alliance Lindell 80 series, I believe. So it's got a uh, a preamp knob on it for uh, saturation. It's the uh, Neve 1070 uh, 1073. And then the EQ compressor gate are all based off the Neve. And I'm just, I'm in love with that right now. It's just, it's got such great color for what I'm doing at the moment with stuff that I love it. So FabFilter Pro Q3 and then the Lindell Audio Plugin Alliance channel strip is just my go-tos right now. I'd love to get into the the Pro Q stuff eventually. It's it's incredible, it, especially with Pro Q3 because it's got um, the dynamic EQ bands now. It's It's just incredible. F6 is probably my go-to. I use that a lot. It crunches things up though, not in like a distorted way, but it just... I, I know what you mean. That's a an underappreciated, maybe not underappreciated. That's a, a pretty key part to my mix flow, but that's one of those plugins like when it works, it works, but when it does not work, it does not work yeah. at all. Yeah, I find, I find that there, there are quite a few plugins in my, in my lineup that they are definitely the... I got to try it. And it either does what it what I want it to do, and it kills it, or it just it just does not does not play well. I apologize for the dings that you're getting, but I think that's why I would say my go tos were the two that I mentioned is because those, the neither of those EQs are are anything very extreme. Um, those are just two really solid EQs that I can get what I am looking for out of those. You know, of course there are other EQs and uh, that will sometimes do it better. Um, but if I had to just, if I was stuck with two, those would be the ones that I would go to. Um, cause I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get anything bad. Right. Unless of course my, my moves are bad moves, but the, the EQs themselves are never going to cause anything funky in any, any range where some EQs like we're talking about, you just, they got a weird range that either works or it doesn't work. Especially like the analog modeled ones when they're so accurate that you're like, whoa. Yeah. Like some of the, the waves, uh, like the red console emulation mm-hmm. when it works it's awesome i like that channel a lot if you're doing like a parallel distortion to your bass mm-hmm. but like you don't want that clangy sound like you just want it to be distorted overdriving that plugin's really cool but other than that i haven't really found like a a spot for that so that's one of those one trick pony kind of plugins for me yeah where it's like oh i do that with this yeah, and no, I, I'm the same way. I've definitely got a lot of one-trick pony tools that for certain stuff that like if I'm doing like a record and I, I find that it works, I'm just using that all over the place. You yeah. Know, like um, like the Fab Filter Saturn EQ, or not EQ, I'm sorry, Distortion. Um, it's just kind of like, you know, if I sometimes I'm with a record that I'm working on right now, I'm like, I'm just like, I'm running that on a lot of stuff to bring out that high end because I'm mm-hmm. wanting a... I'm wanting a kind of dirty sound, and so like having a little bit of that buildup of distortion overall, but it's bringing out like a nice high end and attack to everything. So like with the bass, I'm running the Saturn. Even my toms and snare, I'm running Saturn on like a on a high band. Um, 
like the upper treble area, like just a little bit of distortion. Instead of like pushing 10K, just adding the distortion, it really just adds this energy and attack that's just pulling everything out of the speakers in a forward direction. I've been really digging, because uh, I'm in the UA game, which is awesome, their uh, oxide tape emulation. Oh, how do, just, how do you like that? That's really nice. It's kind of like my Frank's Red Hot Sauce of like harmonics. <laughs> like I'll, I, I literally put it on everything. Yeah. Like master bus, sub buses. How does it compare to uh, to Slate's tape plugin? I like it better. You like it better? Mm-hmm. Have you tried any of like the Wave stuff? Like what is it, like the J37? I like the J37. Uh, I use that more in like a the like a tape delay kind of thing. I use Kramer tape for a while, and that's one of those things like on on my master bus where it it doesn't sound bad, mm-hmm. but it 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 added something, but it was never like the right thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. I like I don't know if it was it just distorted too easily or or what, but like I can really drive the oxide tape like hard like the input hard and it doesn't it just distorts smoother mm-hmm. like it does that vintage like blown out thing but it, it's it's a it's a nice sound it's yeah, not a ear piercing like, like like a like digital clipping it's not like a digital clipping I, yeah sound. i felt like the kramer tape when even if you clipped it it did sound digital mm-hmm. whereas like the oxide tape does not yeah yeah, I'm, I've been using the uh, the soft tube tape. I got a nice deal on that in an email, and so I've been using that on my on my two bus. Did I tell you about my UA fail in January? No. We're like, I thought they sent me like a f- for Christmas like a, a fifty dollar like promo code. So it was like you know buy buy any plugin over that's over a hundred bucks, and you can take fifty bucks off of it. So I found I have to go on UA's website because I don't want to say the wrong oh good spelling there adam i'm so i'm just really bad at memorizing like if an eq has a bunch of numbers behind it oh yeah just like uh seven i don't even know seven six four wd 40 and i'm not sure basically that one so i found a a, it was one of the neve channel strips it wasn't the 1073 and i don't want to sound like an idiot because i can't remember it so i'm on their UA's website right now, trying to find it. We need a we need a website guy. We need a third member need a, in, in need, here in the studio that can be searching stuff up for us. It wasn't the channel strip. It was uh the ten eighty one and ten eighty one SE. Oh, I love this. Or no, I lied. No. I thought it was that. It was the the three eleven oh twos. That's what it was. And it was like on sale for like 170 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll spend 120 bucks on that. Put it in my cart and it kicked it back to full price. What? I was like, wait a minute. So Why'd that happen? No idea. Nah, so I'm guessing you didn't, I, you didn't I, get by it? No. No. Oh. Because I, I was like, my budget at that point was like, I could spend like 150 bucks on something if I wanted to. Maybe it was like you can't add coupons to an on sale item. I know a lot of places are like that. No, because then I was like, well, I'll just try it from my computer instead of my phone. And it was like, it went back to full price. Ah, uh, that's rough. I was like, as soon as it went into my cart, it was just like back to back to retail. <laughs> and I was like, did I try to buy this at the last second? Apparently I did. That's a bummer. Yeah, because I'm in need of like a, I need another EQ flavor. Or I thought I did. And then I rediscovered the Waves uh, Helios, which is 
a missing element. I need a good, like, not master bus compressor, but, like, just something to use on my bus work. Yeah. As far as a compressor goes. I've been uh, I've been loving, I, I'm biased because it's what I, I use, but the Plug-in Alliance stuff, I've been uh, very fond of their uh, Townsend bus compressor in conjunction with, with the uh, Shadow Hills mastering compressor. That's been my go-to um, master bus compression chain right now, is the Shadow Hills into the Townsend, Townsend bus. I might be saying that wrong, Towson or Townsend, I'm not sure what it is. Um, but uh, it's kind of, it's like a, I think it's based off a, an SSL G-Bus compressor. I think it was a modified version that somebody had made. Um, and I don't think there are a lot of actual hardware units out there. Gotcha. Um, but they modeled it, and it's it's real. I I really love the way it sounds. Not completely related. I once let like a DBX one hundred and sixty compressor slip through my hands that I could have gotten for free. Oh, what is wrong with you? I didn't know what it was at the time. <laughs> That's my one gear. Like I kick myself over that every day. Yeah. It's like yeah, I don't eh, I don't have a rack. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Have to buy cables. I've sold a lot of stuff, and I don't really regret selling anything that I've sold yet. Um, I, I'm at that point right now where I'm not selling stuff because before I was just a musician, right? And now, now that I'm a studio guy as well, um, I'm definitely kind of like, okay, those two kind of coincide. So it's like if I buy an amp that I might like for my own musical uses, I'm also like, oh, well, it also helps out the studio if I've got a band that wants to use it. So I've actually been trying to kind of starting to collect more stuff and really not sell anything. Um, and I'm glad there's, there are a couple things like I have an Ampeg, uh, SVT seven pro that I considered selling at one point once I got a dark glass. Um, and I was really glad that I held on to that because now I use that a lot because my dark glass is in my rack rig for my band. Um, but then I do other bass stuff like with you, with Nick mm-hmm. and with uh, Raven tree. And so it's nice that I didn't sell that Ampeg. And then it's also great because I've actually used it on some recordings where just that good. Ampeg sound is just, it's just a classic sound. Yeah. I don't think I've sold anything of like real importance recently. Well, you were talking about selling one of your drum kits and I think I told you, I was like, dude, don't sell it. Keep that. You might not ever use it. You might not use it for another couple of years, but you might have a band that comes in one day and it just might be that right, that right sound with the right heads on it. Tried to barter it and that got shut down. Hmm. And I was like, damn. Bartering is always good. I like trades. Having if you keep a, it like if, yeah, just trade stuff to your friends so then you can use it. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I like about our, our group of engineer audio friends is that all of us are kind of in different styles of music. Yeah. Whereas we'll have acquired gear at, at some certain point in the past that's no longer relevant for what we're doing. And then so we trade it with each other. Don't like, bu- Yeah, don't buy what your friend has, buy something else. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I traded a, a Fender jazz bass that I wasn't using anymore because I have a, a, a one that is my main go-to. And so I traded that to Dave for a, a Laney amp that he wasn't using. And it was like, it's this is perfect. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, I tra- I um, I bought the preamps from the Behringer preamps, but then I traded him my bass for the Laney amplifier, guitar amplifier. And it was just, it was awesome. You know, it was that kind of thing that's like, Keep a keep a good group of friends that you can kind of trade things between each other, you know, if you're no longer using something. Yeah, I think the last thing I sold was when I upgraded my interface. And I sold my old one. What interface were you using? Uh, I had an Avid Mbox Pro 3. Ah, I'm not a fan of those. No, but I bought it <laughs> before I knew anything about gear because I had my loan for AMP. And I was like, this means I can buy stuff, which is <laughs> cool. So I was buying Pro Tools and it was like, for an extra hundred bucks, get... Get the uh, inbox. And it said eight by eight. And I was like, that'll be cool. So I can like 
get eight channels. And it was, they word it weird where you technically have four inputs mm-hmm. and then you could get preamps, but you can only put them in like the remaining four inputs would be, you would have to put them in like stereo, like through like an RCA cable. Ugh. I was like, oh, damn it. I should have yeah. waited. Yeah, I finally just uh, upgraded my monitors. I've had, before I even got like fully into into engineering, you know, I was just recording into GarageBand my own music and I got myself a pair of PreSonus Eris 8s. And at the time I didn't really know anything. I just, I talked to the guy at Guitar Center and they're great monitors. And so then when I ended up getting fully into engineering, it was like, hey, I'm ahead of the curve a little bit. I already have some nice, nice studio monitors. So I've been using those for the last, I've had those for about five or six years and I've been using those for, full-time engineering for about three years. And so I finally decided to, you know what? These are some lower end monitors. I want to kind of try to step it up. So I got myself a pair of Focal monitors and- Do you like them? Oh my God, dude. Yeah. I've been breaking them in the last few days. You know, the the factory recommends you run about 10 to 20 hours of music through them. So my house has just been loud as shit the last few days, Gotta just blasting it. music in. But um, I finally uh, sat down yesterday to really get some serious mixing in. And oh my gosh, it was, it was crazy. It's, it's one of these things where- I noticed a difference listening to music that I was very familiar with. I was run, running through some records that I was like, I know these by heart and hearing the differences and being like, oh, wow, I, I never noticed the depth of a guitar tone or like hearing how far back it goes and being like, oh, wow, just like, you know, th- this is kind of that we get into that audio stuff where there's sometimes there's no real definition to describe something. But you just got to like the, throw a bunch of adjectives uh, yeah. together and be like, does that make sense? The outer edges of the guitar tones. If you're listening to like the left speaker, the outer edges of the guitar tone, I was hearing all these frequencies that I'd never heard before. I was like, oh, wow, that's so much bigger than what I, I, I'd ever noticed. And like how deep the snare was pushed back or, or how forward something was. Um, and it was really cool. It was really cool hearing that. But then the biggest thing was going and working on a mix and then trans and then taking it out to like my car stereo, which is where I listen to music all the time. You just commuting and stuff like that. And all of a sudden hiring, wow, I only have to change one thing instead of 10 things now. And just how well it translated without even noticing it. You know, you're, you're mixing on your monitors and you get into your groove and you, you stop really like, even with the new monitors, I'm not noticing like huge differences because I'm just mixing. I've never, this song has never been played on any other speakers because it's not mixed yet. So I have no reference point for how it sounded before or after. And so going into this mix and being like, okay, I think this sounds great. And then that translation value of just like, oh my God, wow, that, that was so quick and easy. And so it's been, it's been really fun just working on some stuff. Yeah, I think a, a really beautiful part of this mandatory downtime of the coronavirus spread is that I can finally shake the live guy curse that I've been fighting. <laughs> I, I think I texted you just very disappointedly. Like I opened up Pro Tools for the first time in too long. I like started throwing a mix together and I was like, this is great. And then I was like, I remember thinking like, this will definitely get the crowd like hyped. And then I came back like from taking an ear break and I was like, oh no. <laughs> I'm mixing like a live guy. <laughs> It feels live. I was like, oh. It is. It's such a different animal, live mixing versus studio mixing. I mean, there's so many different factors, and it's just, you, you've got you to approach it very differently. Yeah, because the, the entirety of my fall was all live stuff. So... Yeah. And I mean, you know, I've, we've, we've had these conversations before. Like I, I don't like live mixing. There's just, there's too much stuff involved with it that I'm just not a fan of that. I'll do it. You know, I still run sound occasionally, but I've been, 
I was doing a lot at a, coming out of school, you know, I was trying to get as much experience as I could. And I, I still am, you know, I still take the occasional live gig, but I definitely, it was one of those things where I did enough that I was just like, this is not for me, the live thing. I, I enjoy being in the studio. Um, I like them both for different reasons. Oh yeah. There's, there's, there's pros and cons to both. But I love, I love the rivalry where between like studio engineers and live engineers Oh, I have not experienced that. Is there a rivalry? I uh, people try to make it out like there is. I mean, I don't. I don't really care. Yeah, I think both are great. I just my preference is studio. It's nothing to knock. There's there's live. points where like when you're on like take seven or eight of a performance, where like in the back of my mind, I'm like, it, God, I love live sound. I'm tired of <laughs> you hearing, only have to hear it one time. Tired of hearing this verse. Like just play it better. But you can't say that. Yeah. And I don't think that way all the time, but there's always just like that one moment where like, oh man, if this were a live gig, we'd be like five songs ahead by now. Yeah. No, and I can, I can appreciate that and understand that. Cause I even, I will say like, I think that's one of the things that I do like about the studio is being able to get it right. No, I'm not saying where, I hate it. No. But, yeah. But I, I do get that point where you're on, you're on take 10 or 15 and you're just like, oh, I'm really tired of listening to this. And I always, you know, after, after finishing tracking, you know, I always take a day or two before I start mixing to kind of let my brain and my ears clear that so I can come back at it with a fresh perspective. Um, you know, cause there'll, there'll be some stuff where it's like, you know, oh, it's one of the things you got to get used to as an engineer is that you can't always be, you can't be very, very picky with the clients no. that you choose. You know, I mean, you get, you gotta, you should work with people that you, you like, you know, you don't want to work with a group of guys that are like dickheads or anything like that. And that you're afraid might screw you over in the end. But, um, you definitely don't get to work with all the bands that you're like, I just want to work with this, this, and this. You got to be open to doing stuff. And I have found by being more open, I've grown to love mixing other things. It's actually really fun to kind of use my skill sets on, on other stuff and kind of bring a different perspective to it. And, you know, I think it, it lends to maybe a slightly more creative approach. If you're mainly a metal guy and then you go to mix indie, you know, when I mean, you've got to learn how to mix indie stuff, you can't use the same approaches, but then you might have some tools and tips that you're like, what if I tried this on here? And you might something, find something really creative. I think that's what I try to do is listening to all the, the weird metal that I like to listen to because I don't listen to like your average, I'm not your average metal head. It's yeah. we, as I said earlier, and I say it all the time, like when I'm hanging out with normal people, like I'm the weird metal guy. But when I hang out with like fucking metal people, like I can't hang. Yeah, you're like, a noob. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I get like, it. Bro, you don't even know, man. Those eight Gojira records are awesome. Tool's pretty cool. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a really uh, funny experience. So I, before we all got shut down by Corona, it was about a week or two ago when they were still letting live venues do gigs. I was... Uh, oh, yeah, that I, bit me in the ass. I, yeah. I don't know if you saw my photo. I did. With, but, the, with the lime on the, uh, on the <laughs> yeah. soundboard where I'm like, hey, HR, I'm not... I don't think I fully comprehended the email <laughs> that you sent out last night called forward dot re dot prepping for outbreak of Corona dot, dot, dot. And then I lost my job because of, uh, I didn't lose them. Like I'm not fired. Yeah, I just can't go to them because postponed. it's, yeah, I'm banned from the public uh, uh, along with the rest of the world. Yeah. But I, uh, we had a, I had a gig with a group that I was playing with. It was really funny because this, this sound engineer was setting up his rig and he started playing Gojira through it. It was not a, a Gojira-like concert at all. This was more classic rock. But uh, I just thought it was really funny because Adam, that's his go-to for testing his setup, is playing Gojira songs. And I thought this guy was like, dude, I just love it. The low end that they have and everything. That's how is I just, make... It's just a really... F it really 
from top to bottom captures the frequency spectrum and there was a really good I found they test songs. Cause Gojira has like an, a very cool, especially on the record magma, like stranded and prey are probably my go-to rig tests to just like make sure the subs are interacting with the mains the way I like. But on that record, there's a lot of cool like mid-range automation that's going on and all the effects. Yeah. So like, cause in the one theater I work in, it's a JBL VRX rig and they have some pretty wonky mid-range mm-hmm. sound to them. It's not terrible. It's just kind of there. So playing that record really helps. It's weird playing heavy metal in a classy theater scenario. That's where it should be played. I, it Metal's classy. It is. I just like, I have to look at people like, you're going to have to bear with me because I just know what this record sounds like. So yeah, if you encounter uh, certain JBL speakers, play give magma by gojira a drop because it'll it'll help you out tremendously and i think that's a i think that's a good tip for any form of of audio whether it's like studio mixing or live but getting your rig dialed in or even referencing for mixes you know everyone always talks about reference mix reference mixes but i think even for just setting up your your rig in general and if you get a new set of speakers or you finally get a sub or you're in a new room have a record have a song or two that you know has a a wide uh, frequency spectrum on it, you know, that gets some good subs, but also is like, you know, just all around very well balanced. And you know, that inside it out that, you know, what that's supposed to sound like and have that be your go-to for, for testing your new rigs, whether it's live or in the studio. Um, even your phone, just, just know what that, know what that song is supposed to sound like on a variety of different sound sources so that, you know, when you get something new, all right, this is where I need to dial things in. Yeah. It's probably like, Magma is one of my favorite records ever. I think, I think it's engineered fantastically, uh, but it was also just heavy on my rotation when I went to audio school. So I like when I learned a new trick or idea or just anything from class, I would try to find it in that record and be like, "Oh, that's how they do it." Yeah. But it's weird now. Are you at the point where? when you're getting into new music, like the way it's engineered really like matters to you. Oh my God, absolutely. Cause I listened to some terribly engineered records that were very sentimental and important to the path I took and I still love them. But if I listen to something with similar engineering that I haven't heard before and that's not important to me, like I don't want to listen to it. Oh dude, no, I totally understand. I think it's, I, I had a weird revelation a while back that I remember trying to find new music as a, as a kid or and as like a young teenager before I got into audio and even before I started playing music myself. But I think one of the things that, that I was noticing that I, I wasn't consciously aware of at the time was that I would put on a record and I would just not be into it. I'd be like, there's just something weird that I just, I'm not getting into it. I feel like the song should be good. Like the, 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 the guitar part's cool. The vocals are cool, but there's just something miss, missing. And as, I, as I've gotten into audio engineering, I realized that my younger self was picking up on that, that this record is not mixed very well, or it's not mixed to the way that I like. I shouldn't say very well, um, but just the mix is not something that I like. And that, that's such a huge part of how songs are translated, you know? But it comes around full circle because like I can hear a song that I have no desire to listen to anything of that genre. Like all the like hip poppy, like bro country. Mm-hmm. I don't like it musically, but I like the way all of that stuff's engineered. Yeah, it's like, just so clean. This engineering and, is like, so amazing. Whatever, whatever 
fat snare sample that they're all using right now, I don't want the sample, but I want the drum that they recorded to get the sample because mm-hmm. I'm that guy. Have you noticed that like modern country has taken the format of like early 2000s rock? Oh yeah. Like modern country right now, if you put just slightly heavier distorted guitars and you took away the vocals accent. Fucking rock it, song. It was early 2000. It'd be a Stained song, a Creed song, a Nickelback song. Oh yeah, song. absolutely. It, I was like listening to that. I've got a friend that she loves country and I've been, she's playing me modern. So I'm like, I've heard these songs 10 years ago from like, what was at the time rock and metal because you know it's so hard to categorize genres these days because it changes with the times like what was rock and metal 20 years ago to kids today is not rock and metal they're like this sounds like a country song like well that's actually that was heavy metal for its time yeah i went to like a fundraiser for my little brother's uh, little league team and like they had a dj there that was they just had music on shuffle and like some newer country song came on i was like that guitar tone is ripping like that's mm-hmm. nasty oh yeah the, the country engineers are are incredible the guys that mix that stuff they're just it's just insane insane amount of skill i think it'd be fun to do live like because you're you're not mixing like oh man like sally left me and my <laughs> my tractor's broken down you're like shit like well i think one of the things that, that i like about that I like about country music and why I am interested in, in getting into mixing it is that it's a full band, the like with rock and metal, where you've got a drummer, you've got an electric bass player, you've got guitars, and then you've, you know, you've occasionally got other instruments like Synth fiddle, keys, or, synth, yeah, yeah. but it's a lot of the same instrumentation and, but it's not as busy or as heavy. Whereas, cause when you're dealing with that in rock and metal, oh, no. you've got to balance that out. You know, you've got to do a lot to really tame things and keep it all together and glued. But with country music, you get a lot more openness and you don't have to fight so much for instruments to be tamed because there's not a lot of distortion. There's not a lot of, uh, not that I don't want to say there's not a lot of energy, but it's not as driving. And so it's a lot more tame already and you can really focus on getting things clear and open, I find. Yeah. You're, you're not having to fight it as well, much. Well, the arrangement's like everything. Yeah. And I think I finally figured it out or figured out what the old school guys are saying when they have like, a 16 track mentality mm-hmm. where it's like it's okay to have a pro tool session that has 80 tracks worth of stuff yeah i mean if you're if you're trying to mix for modern you've got to compete and so you've got to be willing to do that yeah don't just have 16 inputs but like i've definitely found the less stuff i have going on at a time my mix sounds bigger oh yeah so the less is more approach whereas like i try to keep that in mind like can I get away with only having 16 to 24 tracks of audio going on simultaneously Mm -hmm. in this mix? And if I need more, what can I bring back to then bring in later or just to make things different? And I think, I think the thing with, with when you're getting up in high track counts, like with like 80 to like hundred track counts, you'll find that a lot of time is that like what you just, what you said is that that's not, those tracks aren't all playing at the same time. You might have, that's what I meant. Like, yeah. You might have one track that could just be like this this percussion element that only appears two times in the song, but you have a single track for that because you want to EQ or mix that a certain way. And um, but yeah, I'll find with like when I'm working with certain artists, they'll have like they ha- will have so many different guitar parts that want to throw on there. And I'm like, well, how about we, if you're willing, let's let's try to find some different sounds for that. Maybe that's not a guitar part. Maybe that's a a synth part or some kind of other instrument. Because if we start stacking layers upon layers of, of the, the same, same instrument thing, yeah. or something that's in the same doesn't get like, tonal range, it doesn't. You just start getting smaller and smaller. So trying to be uh, finding different tones and different 
instruments and sound effects, you know, and don't yeah. have that all going on at the same time, but just small things here and there. That's one of those things where not partaking in the rival, the fake, the, the fake, but not fake sound rivalry that I was talking about. Like doing a lot of live engineering has made me faster except for when it bit me in the ass when I was just like, oh, scoop this, boost that. I'm like, oh yeah, this mix does sound live. Cause you obviously, me doing a lot of live sound work more than studio recordings, not overall, but just recently. Like it, it's helped, I'm faster, but there's definitely been live gigs where like on the rider, I had like four keyboard inputs. Oof. And I was like, yeah, this one's getting muted. because it's just even through the pa like i just don't have the space for this yeah and it yeah it wasn't it was four keyboard inputs because he wanted two stereo it was like he had two stereo keyboards and i was like we have the option to run these in mono and it helped me out a lot yeah you're like i don't have enough room in my in my system to mix all this you know but even as a live engineer i like i want it to sound like a live album yeah. That was like recorded live, but still mixed in a studio. Like mm-hmm. I, I pride myself on trying to attempt that. Like I obviously still wanted to have like the energy and I, I want it to sound good, but like, I don't, I really hate that like upper mid rangey high end, like right on the cusp of feedback live sound vocal. Yeah. You know exactly what that like seven k heavy vocal. Yeah, because you you know like you, and unfortunately you got to kind of push that a lot of the times yeah. to get the vocal to come through over top of all the instruments in a live scenario. But I even do a lot of if the console is capable. Uh, I've adopted the the group workflow where I have all my inputs going to a group, so mm-hmm. I can still fix it on the way in. But I do all my additional processing just in a, in a stereo group. Yeah, and that's that way to go. I haven't got to do it with a band yet, but I've done it like a, a, a full band arrangement, but I've done it for a couple of like smaller things. Mm-hmm. Like one group we came in was like vocals, acoustic guitar, and like a fiddle. Nice. That's always fun. So I it sounded better except for the fact that the, the fiddle players like hand wired wireless pickup thing, <laughs> which was just... Like it had a loose solder joint or something because it was just crackling the whole time. Uh-huh. Like my gain staging was fine because I was living in the bottom end of the yellow on the meters. Obviously, like use your ears, not your eyes. But when I hear something distort and crackle, my first instinct is like, do I have the gain too hot? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the meters I, are there for a reason. You can I didn't, still I was use them. Living top top of the green, bottom of the yellow, which is a good visual reference, I guess, for if you're starting out, you're just like, it's a safe zone. Yeah, no, I definitely think, I definitely think using the meters to kind of at least get an eye because, you know, especially with working with digital is it's not always, yeah. you know, it, it is a little more accurate. And so like, yes, use your ears first and foremost, but then, you know, if you're, if you've got 20 channels or something, you can kind of pinpoint some stuff that's happening by looking at the meters. If and I see a lot of your, red, I know something's yeah. going on. I was just like, oh God, this sounds like, I know it's, I know it's important to the bit. I know it is, but oh, it just sounds so bad. <laughs> All right, so I think you you had a question that you wanted to to ask, and we could uh, have anybody that ends up listening kind of send their response. But you with the due to the coronavirus outbreak, we were talking about cleanliness and wash your hands, sanitation. People. But uh, you you asked me as a musician and, and engineer, and you're going to answer yourself well. But what's the uh, the worst venue bathroom? 
And uh, I don't know, maybe if, maybe we don't name the names of the venues just so we don't get any, but we could say what we can talk city about the story. Area. Yeah, yeah. Well, from our gigging history, we have played a lot of not ideal venues in the greater Baltimore area. Surprisingly enough, though, there was one club we would play where you could hang out in the alley and somehow the alley smelled worse than the bathroom. What do you mean the bathroom smelled worse than the alley? No, the alley smelled worse than the bathroom and the bathroom wasn't ideal either. I think the worst venue bathroom I've ever been in wasn't as an engineer or as a musician. It was like as an as a, a member, like being a fan. Mm-hmm. I think I went to an Alkaline Trio show when I was like fourteen, and I just walked in the bathroom. It like it didn't have the like the lock was busted off of it. There were no paper towels. There was no mirror, and there and the toilet was just Declaration of Independence. Stained. <laughs> it's not my joke, but that's the best reference. Like yeah. on the bottom, I was like, "Oh God, this I think is terrible." I think for me, with uh, it was with it was with one of the the shows my band played down in Virginia. It was definitely never meant to be a venue. It was this kind of old warehousey area, and when you go into the bathroom, there was no uh, lid on like the toilet tank itself. So there's no lid, so you'd see the water. And the chain connecting to like the oh, like on the, the top of the okay. yeah, yeah, like the the toilet tank itself that, that fills with water. The chain was like pieced together with different bobby pins. There was no seat on the toilet, and they're like so like the the toilet lid was gone, and there was also no seat. So like you were, you know, if you're a smaller oh, yeah. person, you were you were holding on for dear life. And I mean, this toilet was stained brown. Like it looked like you couldn't wipe that off. It, it was so gross. They just buy a the, new one. The sink was missing one of the knobs, so like you couldn't turn the hot water on. That's the same thing. The, at the, the, the floor was covered in, in in stickers that had just faded away and just were gross. I mean, you know, you're in a good bar when the floor is sticky, and you know that bar's seen some shit because beer's been spilled everywhere. Yeah. I mean, this bathroom was horrible, and it reeked like the the toilet was flush. Like there was nothing built. Like there was no obvious. There was no obvious excrement in the toilet. Yeah. But the smell coming from it. Oh my god! I've never smelled like a battlefield, like after, you know, soldiers have died. But I imagine that's what it smelled like. It was horrible. My eyes started watering and I, it was horrible. I couldn't go to the bathroom in there. I had to, I had to walk out. It was, it was horrific. Okay. So flip it. Do you, do you have like a very memorable, like, like, have you ever been in a venue where you walk out and you're like, God, that's a fucking nice bathroom. That's key. Mm-hmm. Like it's overlooked, but I mean, when you go to any, like the higher venue, higher range venues, like I, like, I'll name names here. Yeah, um, yeah but like you know, in Baltimore, like when you go to like Ram's Head, they have a very nice bathroom um, or Soundstage. Like I mean, those are those are high end venues. You know, those aren't yeah. like they're not they're venues. They're not right. bars. They're venues that yeah, have yeah. No, a bar. any 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 dive bar. Yeah, I mean, it's not a true dive bar if the bathroom's not destroyed. Yeah, but they're just so. That was my my question. Is just there's. I don't think I've ever been to a point where like I go into a venue bathroom and I'm like, I'm not using this. I mean, you, when you walk into the bathroom and you see used needles and syringes on the floor, then you know you're in a bad, bad place. I've, I've played a couple of venues like that in uh, nowhere in Maryland, surprisingly, but in the like, you know, upper Connecticut areas and down south. I've, I've been in some bathrooms where you're like, oh, people aren't <laughs> using this for what they're supposed to be. Yeah. I don't even mind when you like you play an outdoor festival and they're like, well, we have a row of 
portable toilets. Like I'll pee outside. I have no shame. Like if it's a wooded area, that's the that hands down, that's the best bathroom, right? Oh, you yeah. get to pee outside free. Nature's bathroom, baby. It's the way we were meant to do it. Just don't piss in your water supply. Or yeah, and don't get poison ivy. Yeah. I don't know how deep in the woods you gotta go, but Yeah, I feel like everyone really needs to learn like what poison ivy looks like. Cause there's a lot of people that don't know what it looks like. And it's like, yo, you're walking. Out I know I could, I could talk about it poorly and get it. Like I'm going to get it now. Just having said that <laughs> to be on the look for like it, I used to get it bad. I had it on like almost my entire upper body in like middle school. Like right when things start getting weird in your human development. So you were being called Christopher Columbus and you were covered in poison ivy. Oh, man. Yeah, within like a, a five year. year period dude it was bad it didn't do well for the self and i got glasses like really early on ah so you were just you like were now i look i look good you look glasses. very good uh, my headphones right now are very uncomfortable oh i've bet, had them yeah. on for a while and it's 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 vanity driven but i'm like i, I like <laughs> the way i look in glasses but as a fourth grader like people make fun of you oh yeah especially when you have to walk across the elementary school and go in the hallway where all the scary fifth graders are. Kids are savage, They're relentless. Man. Kids are kids are fucking savage. It hurt. It didn't feel good. I was a chubby kid. Mm. Like, it's just not, not good for the emotional self-esteem. <laughs> and then you top that. that's why you're in audio. <laughs> and you top that by, like, the icing on that beautiful cake was I get poison ivy very easily. I like nature. I just can't partake in it necessarily <laughs> so, to the degree that I want to. So I'll, all these things, it seemed, led to you being in a career where you sit behind a computer or a board away from social interaction. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm That's trying to do it. Now I'm trying to, quote, make a career out of having to talk to people. Yeah, but you're doing it not out in like the woods or out in a public space. Yeah, no, I wouldn't want to do it. Privacy or your own studio. I don't want to publicly speak to people. <laughs> I want to privately speak to people and have massive amounts listen or don't. I, I don't care to tell you how to live your life if you enjoy it listen into another one i don't do what you love and love what you do don't be a dick travel light yep i'm out of conversation topics at this point yeah well i think this was a good first good first episode so i think if you want to wrap it up i think come back anytime i would love to thanks for having me on thinking about having more people on but if you want to do like we could do like a regular you and me yeah thing. i'd love to i'd love come to come up do with that. some more structure Oh yeah, yeah. This was definitely. I don't know. I think we did a pretty good job winging it, though. I felt that we kept things flowing. I'm pretty very. Well. Pr I kept my swearing. I caught myself a couple times. Yeah, I know. I, I swore a little bit towards the end. I think I was starting to kind of be like, just ah, getting the vibe. Loose lips, loose lips sink ships. You don't want to sink in a ship. Always wear a life vest. Yeah, don't, don't do that. But I, I'd be more than happy to come back on. So yeah, you were so, talking, and the whole time you said ships, and my mind was like, man, I'm too tall to serve in the navy oh yeah like on yeah, a submarine yeah i wouldn't want to be in a submarine though that would that'd be kind of the whole idea of water all around you that could just oh it's not, your not ship good yeah i'm glad that i'm too tall for it but then there's that <laughs> part of me just like i watched way too many world war ii movies as a child where it's like dude it would be kind of cool it'd probably be a war hero <laughs> if anyone were to do it it'd be yeah i wouldn't be expect i'd be that unexpected guy oh yeah where they're like I'm not the main character. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a star. Like a. I'm not a lead man. You're the side guy that's always getting things done, but not, not even that. I'm like two tiers below that. I'm like the, the like the overlooked like corporal. 
Okay. Where like I'm not the private who's like loud mouthed in my head in like my my World War II squad. Like it, it takes Saving Private Ryan for an example. Yeah. Like there's the guy from Brooklyn who was really loud mouthed and then I forget the name of the character, but he pointed the pistol in his face. Like mm-hmm. they were gonna they were gonna, yeah, squ- they're gonna go at they were square off. I'm not that guy. Yeah. But I'm like and I'm not Tom Hanks. And I'm not even Matt Damon. Not even uh, Barry Pepper. This, was it Barry Pepper? Was he We're just going to go through all the characters in the movie that you're not <laughs> yeah. until we get down to the one that you are. <laughs> but there was the other guy. He had like, I was the guy who came up with the idea that if you hit the the mortar on the plate, you could throw it. Yeah. Or maybe not even come up with that idea, but I was the guy who was chucking him. Yeah, exactly. I, I see that. I'd share a foxhole with you. I'd share a foxhole with you too. We would give away our position because of the giggling because uh, of the giggling <laughs> we like two little two little kids having a sleepover Get the entire uh, platoon so we're gonna gun down i think we're gonna go now dig a foxhole in, in your backyard i mean martial law depending on who you follow on the internet martial law has fallen above us yeah so, so uh time to dig your holes grow your own food start hunting bury your money in the backyard all that fun it's stuff but yeah, so thanks for having me on as your first if, guest for the uh, the backseat playlist. Random thought. If you're homeless, but you have money, do you bury your money every night and that's the equivalent of keeping your money under your mattress? I think we like, have a... Uh, you're sleeping in the dirt. I think we'll have an on, on the road episode at some point. We'll go into the city and start asking some questions. <laughs> Don't want to do that. Because I have the sense of humor that gets people like, I don't know. Slightly angry. <laughs> uh, Confrontational. If I make the wrong person angry, I would disappear for a very long time. All right. Be safe. Wash your hands. Don't hang out in uh, groups of more than nine people. Luckily, Slipknot, I think they have nine members. They can still have band practice, oh, which is good, good for everybody. Them. This is why I'm a three-piece band. Yeah, gotta love it. Keep it safe, man. (laughs) All right, be safe. Love you all. Come back.